particularly in our homes. And then the last, certainly but not least, our fall festival is fast arriving. It's from 5 to 7 on October the 29th. That is a Sunday evening. We have food, trunk or treat, bouncy houses, door prizes, etc., etc. Always a wonderful evening. We hope you and your family will join us. Please promote that to the community as an outreach. But here's what we need particularly. We need donations of cookies, cakes, pies, any homemade goodies. One of the most popular things we do for our fall festival is our cake walk. And we're grateful to Miss Joan Buckner and Von Folds for organizing that. So donations for this can be dropped off in the church lobby Sunday, October the 29th. All of this also is in your newsletter, probably scrolling on the screen as you entered. Uh, if you're not receiving our newsletter, let us know. We email that out every week, and it is very helpful and informative. So if you would like to be added to that list, please let me know. Hand me your email, and we'll include you on that. So, sounds like we've got our sound system clicking again, right? So let's stand, and I'm going to call our brother, Bill Grissett. He's going to read our passage of Scripture, which always relates to the message in some way, and uh, lead us in prayer. Thank you, Bill. Turn with me. Uh, I'm going to be reading from Romans uh, chapter 1, verses 16 through 23. This is uh, an incredibly powerful passage. Not that there aren't any powerful passages, but this one especially so. Beginning in verse 16 of Romans 1, it says this For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written that the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man, and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. Just thank you for loving us in spite of all of our faults, all of our uh, really, truly stupidity, Father. We thank you that, that you are a faithful God that loves us in spite of all things. Father, we uh, pray that, that our worship today will be acceptable to you. Be with Neil as he preaches, Catherine, who leads music. Father, be with our whole staff, people who are, are working with children this morning, God. We just pray that you would bless um, all of these workers. Father, we pray that you would help us to truly live as a church on mission in our community and in, in our world, Father. Uh, Father, we love you, we thank you, and ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to begin this morning with a responsive reading. And so if you'll just follow along on the screen with us. Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. O Lord, there is none like thee. One generation shall praise thy works to another 
and shall declare this, uh, shall declare thy mighty acts. O Lord, there is none like thee. I will speak of the glorious honor of thy majesty, and men shall speak of the might of thy terrible acts. They shall abundantly utter the memory of thy great goodness. O Lord, there is none like thee.
still stand, we're going to sing one more together before the sermon. We're going to sing Standing on the Promises. Just Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much um, for just being a God, Lord, that we come in and worship this morning, God, with our whole hearts, Lord. God, we um, just thank you for you are so mighty, God, and powerful. And Lord, we thank you that through everything um, we can sing how great thou art, God. Lord, I pray this morning that our hearts are encouraged to sing of your greatness and sing of your glory, God, and that we just praise and honor and worship you in all that we do, Lord. God, as we open up your word um, in Isaiah this morning, Lord, I just pray that we leave this morning encouraged and revived to truly grasp that there's none like you, God, and Lord, that you alone are worthy of our praise, God, and we just love you and praise you, and we thank you for the children's workers who are in the children's church and in the nursery, and we pray that you be with them during this time of study and that you be with us during this time of study. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And children are dismissed to children's church in the back. As we walk our way through the book of Isaiah, we are highlighting key passages 
from the prophets. And we'll walk through a good portion of this before we get to the actual text that I'm going to preach from, and it's found in verses 14 through uh, 25. The song we began our service with has as one of its key lines, there is none like you. The title of the sermon this morning is that there is no other God. There is no other God but the God of the Bible who creates and reveals and saves. As the story of the Bible communicates so clearly in many different places and in many different ways. But in Isaiah chapter 45, ten times in this chapter, the phrase, no other God or none like you, appears repeatedly throughout this chapter. So what I want to do as we introduce this particular passage, I want to highlight those ten times. Now, where I attended elementary school, the building is no longer there. Heard Elementary. In fact, Barry and I drove by it this morning. I pointed out the place where that great school used to exist. But the memories are still fresh on my mind in a lot of ways, especially the different ways that we were disciplined back in the day. Now, how many of you remember that when you got in a little trouble in class, one of the things that they made us do back then was write sentences as a form of discipline? So let's take Miss Yvonne, for example. I can imagine that she had to write 10,000 times, I must not talk in class, <laughs> okay? I must not talk in class. You dreaded that form of punishment, and by the time you were done, not only were your hands cramping, but I must not talk in class was so ingrained in you that it would keep you, I guess, focused and maybe out of trouble for at least a couple of days. Do they still make kids write sentences? I highly doubt it. Now, the reason that came to my mind is that if it is repeated ten times in this chapter, it must be a truth that you and I struggle with, and it must be a truth that we must have ingrained in us in order to know and worship and live for God in a healthy, effective way. So let's pick up, walk with me through this, and my apologies to the folks in the, in the back with the screen. They had no idea this was coming. But in verse 5, for example, okay? Now the shocking truth is that God, a hundred years from the writing of Isaiah, was going to raise up, a secular ruler named Cyrus. I encourage you to go back and read in chapter 40, 44, point blank, verse 28. God was going to do this incredible sovereign work of raising up a secular king who would rise to power. He was a Persian king who would rise to power defeat the Babylonians, and then proclaim a release of the exiles so that they could return back home to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. This is an incredible story. 
which highlight that God works in amazing, mysterious, often what we would call crazy ways. How can God do this? How can he have such power and control and such sovereignty and majesty? And so that's one reason why over and over in this chapter, the people and the prophet are saying and hearing, God, there is truly none like you. So verse 5, I am the Lord and there is no other. That's sentence number one. Second part of verse 5, besides me there is no God. That's number two. The third occasion is at the end of verse 6. I am the Lord and there is no other. Moving further in the story, make sure I've got these marked in the right place. In verse 14, surely God is with you and there is none else. The next one, number six, there is no other God at the end of verse 14. Move down to verse 18. You're thinking, I I didn't know I was going to be this busy during the sermon. Look at number 18, verse 18. Here's another instance, another sentence. I am the Lord, and there is none else. Jump down to verse 21. About the middle of the verse. There is no other God besides me. The end of that verse. There is none except me. Then in my Bible, I've turned the, turned the page to the last one in verse 22. I am God, and there is no other. Ten times. I think that's the theme of the chapter. I think that's the hinge, so to speak, that holds together all the content that's there. And isn't it interesting, that's probably the message that you and I need the most. Because if we look back at what original sin was, and what our struggle with sin still is, it is the desire for us, it is the lie that we can be our own gods. Or that we could create gods from everything that's around us that are actually worthless idols. So we're dealing here with original sin, the sin we still struggle with on a daily basis. And we are dealing with the temptation for us to desire to be gods and rule and run and control our own lives, our own world. Or to construct gods that don't challenge us, confront us, change us, that are created in our image in order to serve us. So that's kind of a big picture theological umbrella over this chapter and over the Bible. There is none like you. I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you. And so what we're going to examine now are the ways, some of the ways in which Isaiah 45 communicates that there is no God like our God. All rivals, all idols, all temptations to serve any person, place, or thing other than him are vain, they're foolish, 
And as Bill said in his introductory prayer, just plain stupid, okay, just to, just to get frank. All right, so let's go back to the portion that I said that I would, I would read. Let's start with verse 14. <clears throat> and after we read through the end of the chapter, I will pray and we'll consider ourselves beginning, beginning our sermon. Verse 14, thus says the Lord. The products of Egypt and the merchandise of Cush and the Sabaeans. These are African nations. For some reason, they show up several times in the book of Isaiah. In an amazing turn of events, they will come over to you and will be yours. He's speaking to his people, Israel. They will walk behind you. They will come over in chains. They will bow down to you. They will make supplication to you. Look at the posture. Look at their attitude. Look at their humility. Something has happened to these people. Because it says they, they, they're, they're quoted here. Surely God is with you. There's none else. There is no other God. Truly thou art. A God who hides himself. O God of Israel, Savior. They will be put to shame and even humiliated, all of them. The manufacturers of idols will go away together in humiliation. Israel has been saved by the Lord with an everlasting salvation. You will not be put to shame or humiliated to all eternity. Verse 18, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens. He is the God who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it a waste place or a vain land. But he formed it. God formed the world to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is none else. I have not spoken in secret in some dark land. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in a waste place. I, the Lord, speak righteousness, declaring things that are upright. Then there's an invitation. Gather yourselves and come. Draw near together, you fugitives of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idol, and they pray to a God who cannot save. Declare and set forth your case. Indeed, let them consult together. Who has announced this from of old? Who has long since declared it? Is it not I, the Lord? There is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. The King James there has a just God and a Savior. Same concept, same idea. There is none except me. Turn to me. Be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and it will not turn back. That to me, every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. They will say of me, only in the Lord are righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. And all who were angry at him shall be put to shame. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. In the Lord, 
All the offspring of Israel will be justified and will glory. Father, thank you for your words which communicate to us your kindness, your mercy, your faithfulness, and your amazing ability and skill to turn and work in mysterious ways for the good of your people and the glory of your name. So may all of us through this passage and through this sermon have the correct attitude and posture in life before you, that we would worship and serve you alone, for there truly is none like you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, Isaiah chapter 45, an incredible chapter, an encouraging chapter, and a very convicting chapter. So what I want to do this morning is once we realize and confess and acknowledge that there is no other God like our God, there's no other option, there are no other choices that are valid and true and saving, that we need to look at verses 14 through 17, for example, and and confess that the impact the influence, the involvement, and the intervention of God is truly remarkable, truly incredible, and that he alone is worthy of worship. So in verses 14 through 17, something amazing happens. Former enemies of God, former deniers of God's supremacy and authority, something has happened to them where All of a sudden, their attitude has changed. Gone is their arrogance. Gone is their pride. Gone is their taunting and their violence toward God's people. And instead, God has worked and moved in their hearts and lives this conversion where, look at verse 14, they come over. And they submit themselves completely to God and to his people. And so it's interesting that they testify to three clear things in verse 14. What do they say? It says in verse 14, they make supplication. A supplication is a, it's a prayer of request. It is a, it's, a, it's a desperate plea. And this is what they say, three things. Surely, truly, God is with you. They recognized that they were on the wrong side. They recognized that it was futile for them to fight against and be angry against God and his people. God is with you. They recognize Israel as people belonging to the true God. The second thing that they say is that there's there's none else. Look at verse 14. There's, there's, there are no other options. Not only are they recognizing that God is God and that he's with them, but, but that there's none else. And the third confession is there at the end of verse 14. There is no other God. So they will be put to shame and humiliation if they continue to defy the living God, but now that they have submitted There's a wonderful promise at the end of verse 17 that is the ultimate place of security. Verse 17 to me is 
is really the point that all of us are desiring to get to. It is a point of security. It is a point of safety. How in the world can such a bold, eternal promise be made? And here's the promise in verse 17. Israel has been saved by the Lord. This is an everlasting salvation. They'll never be put to shame. They'll never be humiliated to all eternity. So the scope of this bold promise is truly amazing because I I don't know about you, but I I can think of times in my life when I have been humiliated, (laughs) when I have been ashamed. And I'm not going to recollect any of my personal horror stories or any of my personal trauma. But you can remember mockery and humiliation and embarrassment. Now, this is on a next, this is next level humiliation. This is next level shame. And God is making a promise to his people that they are so secure in him. That he is so on their side. That never, ever, ever for all of eternity will they be ultimately put to shame, ultimately humiliated, or ultimately embarrassed. So, What I'm going to do next is give you three reasons why verse 17, which is the ultimate place of security and confidence. Remember what we were talking about last week? When we are afraid, we should trust the Lord because he is going to bring us through. Therefore, do not fear. Well, here are more reasons why you and I should be absolutely secure and absolutely confident that, that there is only one true God, and in Him is everlasting security. Now, if you can work from a place of absolute security and absolute confidence and absolute settledness in your soul, that you are right with God and safe with God, and they'll never, you'll never be put to shame, then, then you can move out into life in, in a different way. You can move out into your daily life with peace. And contentment, gone can be fear and competition and the need to prove yourself. You'll be less demanding, less critical, less controlling. This kind of promise settles my soul to be able to go out into the chaos of life and live with a peace that passes all understanding. So what I need in a competitive fallen, demanding, critical, chaotic world where we turn on the news and we see, yet again, there's trouble in Israel. And there was trouble then. But God's people will be blessed and secure and never be put to shame or humiliated in an ultimate eternal way but, but I guess the $64,000 question is, who are God's people? And am I one of those people? Hey, we are anticipating two very important births in the life of our church in December. Catherine's having a baby. Bryson and uh, his wife are having a baby. Brooke. And I don't know why we were discussing this, but there are 385 babies born daily (laughs) in this world. That's an incredible number, isn't it? How can God care and know and love?
child, every single one of those babies. And what is going to happen to every single one of those 385,000 who are born every day? Is our God big enough? Is our God strong enough? Is our God aware enough? And of those 385,000 people who are born daily, how, who, who are the elect? Who are the chosen? Who, who belongs to God? Who are his people? That's just some introductory thoughts, and you're thinking to yourself, well, good grief, he's not even into the message yet. Well, here it goes. Number one, these are ways that God is truly and utterly unique, and there is no one else, there is no one else, no other gods who do the following things. Number one, God alone is creator. God alone creates. And I get this truth from verse 18. How can such a bold promise be made in such a crazy, chaotic world where God promises that his people will be saved with an everlasting salvation and they will never be put to shame, they will never be humiliated to all eternity? Here's why, verse 18, thus says the Lord, who did what? He created the heavens, he formed the earth, he made it, and he established it. Those are four Hebrew terms that tell us that our God is big, our God is creator. This points us to the doctrine of creation, which says that God breathed this whole universe into existence. He alone creates. The takeaway from this is none of us would be here if God did not create us, make us, form us, and establish us. We cannot create on our own. We did not force ourselves or call ourselves or work ourselves into being here. God created every single one of us in his image. And not only is he creator and speaks into existence life and things that don't exist, but as the ultimate creator, God can create new life. Now, man in his arrogance and man in his ability, sometimes we lose sight of this and we think that we are on par with God. Reminds me of the old preacher story that I heard years ago that went something like this. God, we don't need you anymore. We have the ability to create and make now. In fact, we discovered here on earth how we can create people on our own. We don't need you anymore. God looks down, communicates with this pompous individual, and he says, okay, if you can do what I can do, let's have a contest. Let's have a creating contest. I'll make a man and you make a man. Now, look, don't test this by biblical theology. This is just a story to make a point, all right? I've, I've, I've gone way outside, I've colored way outside the lines here already, but, but stay with me. So the man is challenging God. God confronts the man. And the man says, okay, I'll go first. We'll just show you how creative we are. The man reaches down to pick up some dirt. And God says, uh-uh, you get your own dirt. <laughs> you get your own dirt. We have nothing here with which to work with other than what God has spoken into existence. And God is communicating in verse 18, I am the Lord and there is none else. Here's the point. Only God 
can create. This is the doctrine of creation, and it points us to dependency and need in him being the one who not only formed, established, and made us and the world we live in, but our also our need for him to create new life and new hope and new joy and all that comes with what God will do in our lives. The second thing is not only the doctrine of creation, does he stand alone and supreme, but the doctrine of revelation, meaning God alone reveals. God alone reveals. God speaks. That's, that's the word. God communicates. God opens up. Not only would you and I not be here if God alone didn't create, but we wouldn't know anything. The only way we know anything is that God has revealed to us. He is the God who reveals. And this point is made in verse 19. God says, I've not spoken in secret. God doesn't do his work over in a corner where nobody knows. God speaks. Psalm 19 says, day after day and night after night, God what? He pours forth speech through his creation. This is not some dark land, verse 19. God says, I didn't say, notice, speaking, spoken, saying. What's what's the point here? That God has revealed to us in many ways who he is, what he's like, and what he requires of us. God didn't say to his people, hey, look for me in a wasteland. You know the house at the end of the street? that nobody lives in, that it's, that, that's an abandoned dump. That's not the kind of world God created. God created a world with life and vitality. And it's a journey, and it's, it's, a, it's a place to explore. He, he says, he didn't say, seek me in a waste place, but he, he, he speaks righteousness, truth. He declares things are, that are upright. So here we are in our natural blindness, in our natural deafness. And I know I've said this before, but Columbus Day, I think, is tomorrow. Without God being a God who reveals and communicates, we would be a lot like the old story about Christopher Columbus. That it was said of him when he left, he didn't know where he was going. When he got there, he didn't know where he was. And then when he returned back, he didn't know where he had been. Without God speaking, listen, in creation, in his word, in his law, we, we, and that's why Bill read Romans 1, we suppress the truth in unrighteousness and ungodliness. God is revealing, God is speaking. That's why in the book of Micah it says, he has told you, O man, what is good, and he has told you what he requires of you to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. God has the capacity to reveal, and God also with that has the capacity to conceal. It is the glory of God to reveal a mystery. That's why you and I are very dependent on he who is God alone, both to exist and to know why we exist as he reveals to us in his word, especially in his gospel, who he is and what he's about. The doctrine of creation, God alone creates. 
the doctrine of revelation, God alone revealed. But now the doctrine of salvation, God alone saves. And that's the essence of the rest of this chapter. Because look at verse 20. Gather yourselves together and come. Here is the invitation from God. All fugitives of the nations, all of you who are running and hiding and wandering like sheep without a shepherd. If you're serving or worshiping yourself or other gods, you have no knowledge. You're caring about wooden idols, man-made things, all of our schemes, all of the substitutes, all the counterfeit gods that you and I, and there's, I recommend Tim Keller's book, Counterfeit Gods. It goes into our desire for power and money and pleasure. All these counterfeit substitutes. Look, verse 20. People are praying to gods that can't save. Well, our God is in direct contrast. So declaring, hey, set forth your case. Get the team together and consult. This has been announced from old, from, be, the very, from before the foundation of the world. It has long been declared. Here we are again. Is it not I, the Lord? There's no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There's none except me. So here's the, here's the point. We cannot save ourselves. We cannot turn to or make or create any plan for saving ourselves. The reason you and I need saving is that we're lost. We're sinful. We're guilty. But look at what it says about the uniqueness of God. And His given salvation. He, 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 is, he is both of these at the same time. He is a righteous God and a Savior. Why would Isaiah say that? Because you've got justice on one, on one hand. You've, you've got guilty people who are deserving wrath. They're deserving punishment. They're deserving separation and alienation from God. And so you've got, you've got the mercy of God and, and the love of God but how can God release captives? How can God forgive lawbreakers who have violated his law and, and, and do so in a just and righteous way? How can man be right before God? That's, that's the big question of the Bible. But God, from the very beginning, says that he is the God who rescues. He is the God who saves. And what he did through Cyrus and what he did with Moses and Pharaoh, all of those are pictures of his miraculous, amazing, incredible, even shocking ways of saving people. Well, let's jump to the whole point of the Bible. Jesus. What we have in Christ is the invitation to come to a Savior. And what does he do? Man, in a shocking, surprising way, the hidden, mysterious God shows up on earth in a person. The Word becomes flesh and dwells among us. He lives the life that is righteous that you and I should have lived but can't because we are unrighteous in and of ourselves. Then he dies on the cross, a death that you and I deserve to die. 
as a sacrifice of atonement so that you and I could be forgiven by mercy in a just and holy way. So that's why as I turn my page, look at verse 22. How does God save? He does so in a righteous way that has no mix of unholiness or error or shadiness. And he does so in a merciful way, full of kindness and grace. So verse 22 is the call. Turn, repent, and believe the gospel. Turn to me, God says, and what? And and be saved. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your righteousness. Turn away from everything that you are and everything that you have and surrender completely to this God of justice and mercy and be saved. Look at verse 22. All the ends of the earth because I am God and there is no other. There is no other plan of salvation apart from God's just and merciful way of saving people in and through Jesus Christ. I've sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness, it will not turn back. Verse 23, look, you know this from Philippians chapter 2. It's in the scriptures, Paul used this, we sing this, we know this. Does this sound at all familiar? One day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, what? That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. There it is right there. Spoken through the prophet, about, prophet Isaiah hundreds of years before God comes to earth in his son, in and through his son. So verse 24, they will say of men, those who bow down and those who are allegiant, every knee that shall bow to and every tongue that shall confess to. Only in you, God, is righteousness and strength. Men will come to him. All who were angry, enemies of God, will be put to shame. But in the Lord, all the offspring of Israel will be justified before his glory. God alone saves, God alone reveals, and God alone creates. So then let, let, let's close by asking ourselves this. Since he is God alone and there is no other, how shall we live? I'm not going to take the time to work back through this to give you these last application uh, truths or practices, but just know that they're there. So if, 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 if he is, the God of the Bible, is the one and only true God, he's the way, the truth, and the life, how are you and I to respond? Let's go back to who are God's people. And are you one of those people? You know, years ago I heard a wonderful acronym for saved. And it's ACT. Akin to the book of Acts in the Bible, the Acts of the Apostles, which tells us the acts of the Holy Spirit through the lives of the disciples. So, so in response to the fact that he is God alone, there is no other, we cannot save ourselves, there's, there's nothing around us that can give us righteousness and strength, 
here's what we do. And it is adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Here's our practical way to respond. Say this. Since he is God alone, he alone is worthy of our adoration. These nations that came and realized the light bulb went off, what did they do in response to the recognition that God is God? What did the people do who realized that Jesus truly was the Son of God? I could give you example after example that their adoration turned away from everything else to Christ or away from everything else to God. Theologians call this the expulsive power of a new affection, which means I have fallen in love with someone and something far greater than anything else. Adoration of God and of Christ alone and above all others. So to illustrate this, my son Jake, all of a sudden, he needs salad. Jake needed a salad. recently and he's needing salad he's never eaten salad his entire life i've fed him i've poured stuff i've done i've done the good cop i've done the bad cop and all of a sudden he's eating salad you know why he's eating salad he's got a crush and randall knows this this is not rocket science he told her and her family that he's not a picky eater I've never seen someone go from such a lie to such a truth overnight. Seriously, it's it's a great illustration of what happened to these nations who didn't didn't know and didn't didn't believe in God. A, a radical transformation of love. It's crazy things people do when they fall in love. They have a crush, a new interest. Theologians call this the expulsive power of a new affection. Look it up. It means that now I have been brought to the point that I adore God above everything else. And he comes first. Adoration. And you can see that in this text. The turning of the heart and the affections and the love away from everything else. Not that, not that other things don't matter, but that my love for him is above all. And to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then to love his people, my neighbor, that's, that's the whole gist of where God is taking us in our worship. And the second one is confession. I, I did a wedding last night, and, and, and both the, the groom and the bride, they both confessed something. They, they opened their mouths, and their mouths spoke of their love and their commitment. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Part of this turning is a turning of your love, but it's also a turning of your profession, your confession. Are you willing to say it? Are you willing to speak it? Are you willing to own it so much? That, that as the song used to, I'll tell the world that I'm a Christian. That's what we're talking about. Two or three times in here, it spoke of the tongue and confession. Man speaks that which has been within his heart. A lady came through the food pantry a couple weeks ago. Simply said she wants to pray. 
increasingly afraid to tell them what they want. So I go to the window, have a conversation with the lady, and we accept the award. She says, I need a hug. <laughs> and she says, I need a shower. Because I went somewhere to believe Do you recognize that there is no other God? That anyone who adores him and confesses him will never be put to ultimate humiliation. But do you know that those who deny him, they will hear the most humiliating thing that you could ever hear. And that is God. gone from guilt to grace in the last 12 months. He's the one who's pointing to God that when I'm, I'm to live a life of thanksgiving, a life of gratitude, knowing where I've come from and what I deserve to how he has blessed me with his mercy and grace, I live a life of thanksgiving. And then the last one is supplication. Remember what I said earlier about supplication? It is a request. It is a prayer. It is something from a heart that's, that's asking and uh, seeking and
So may we turn to Christ for salvation. But Lord, may we also turn to you continually, continually living a life of repentance, confessing our adoration, confessing our sins, confessing our failures, asking you for daily bread and your redemption. Thank you for leading us stand and sing. This supplication, this prayer, change my heart, O God. You come forward with your needs as we sing.
Isaiah uh, 45, 22 is such an incredible verse. Charles Spurgeon, at 15 years old, heard that verse being preached uh, during a snowstorm with just a few people in the chapel. The guy got up and said, look to Christ, and he, it's a much longer story, but he looked to Christ and was saved. This morning, Aubrey Key has come forward, and she has said, I desire to be saved. She has looked to Christ, and he has saved her. So Aubrey stands before us today to confess, as I was saying earlier, uh, her acceptance acceptance of Christ as her Lord and Savior. What a joy, Aubrey. Thank you so much. Aubrey Key, and you're how old? Twelve years old. Uh, And Jennifer, of course, they've been coming here a long time. Aubrey's been a part of us for a while in our services and our programs, but I just rejoice that God has, has saved her and is at work in such a way in her life, and, and, and he's, he's changing hearts. And for that, we rejoice in his work and the work of his spirit. So um, Aubrey desires also to be baptized and to, to join our church. So let's encourage our Grandma Baptist Church. Amen. We've received. Uh, okay, that's what I was looking for, the second. Thank you, Randall. Randall's helping me out here. All in favor, let me know by saying amen. Amen. Aubrey, welcome to God's family, and welcome to our family. Jennifer, I'm so happy for you as a mom and for her uh, as a new believer. Um, God is truly amazing, and I just want to give him thanks and praise for all that, that he continues to do. So we will have a baptism soon for you and celebrate that in the, in the ordinance that Christ gave us to, to celebrate salvation and professions of faith. A um, couple of things I want to do. Uh, Bryson, are you still in here? Hey, our family life pastor, Bryson Shoemake, has a birthday this week. Bryson, come on down. I don't know if you got anything else to do back there. As I said, this is October, and, and, and it's Pastor Appreciation Month, so that's part of this, is that we want to show appreciation for uh, our family life pastor and celebrate his birthday. We have a baby coming up in December, which uh, they also, I'm sure, are excited about. So we thank God for Bryson. We love you, Bryson. That's a token of our love and appreciation for you as a, as a pastor, as a, as a dad, as a husband. And so I take that blessing from the people of Grand Isle Baptist Church. So um, let's close with our benediction. Hey, no services tonight. Uh, no choir practice tonight. Um, fall break. So we're giving... We're giving, we're giving ourselves and you a break this evening. You go be with your family, spend time with your family this evening. Is there anything else that I forgot? Anybody? Okay. Amen. Thank you, Miss Elaine. Will you lead us, please? Yes. 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 Y
Aubrey and Jennifer will stay here. In fact, let's get uh, Kyle, Deacon Kyle, come on up here so they so they're not standing up. Just the two of them. Be Deacon for them, Rob. Uh, <laughs> let's sing family of God together. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been washed in the crown and cleansed by his blood. Join us with Jesus as we travel this mile. For I'm part of the family, family. Have a great week.